Good afternoon and welcome to the latest Auto Retail Live webinar in association with CarWow as we look at the used car landscape at the beginning of 2024. Thank you very much for taking the time out this afternoon to join us or indeed you may be watching us on catch up as we explore the market conditions and opportunities for used cars with a panel of retail leaders sharing their thoughts and practical suggestions to ensure a successful year. Sales of new and used cars grew in 2023, but the simplicity of a headline disguises the complex picture of used car values, uh, with significant variations, as we all know, according to vehicle type. In December, Virtu Motors flagged this with a warning that premium cars had been hit hard and they adjusted their used car prices. Now at the end of January, we're just a few weeks away from the important March market with a 24 plate change. Uh, and this year, of course, car brands must hit that 22% zero tailpipe emission threshold. Throw into the mix agency models of various types, the new vehicle entrants from China and Vietnam, a general election and economic challenges. Uh, there are a lot of factors having an impact on the used car market at the moment. Your comments and questions are central to our conversation today, so please do take the opportunity to pick the brains of our panellists uh, and also make use of their expertise. If you have questions or comments you'd like to bring into the conversation, it's really simple. You can use the dialogue box here on the webinar platform uh, and they will go straight through to uh, our editor, Tristan, uh, who is collating all the questions and we will bring them uh, up in conversation. Uh, you can also use the hashtag on Twitter or X, uh, hashtag ARN Live. Well, our panel today includes Robert Forrester, the Chief Executive of Virtu Motors, uh, Rupert Pontin from One Auto API, and John Vicmanis, who is the Chief Executive of CarWow. So let's get underway, and I'm going to turn first of all to Robert. Robert Forrester, good afternoon. Let's start with a look at the um, at the market. Your take on, on where we are, given that you flagged up at the just before Christmas um, that challenge with with premium used car pricing. How, how did we get on at the end of the year, and how's the market looking now? Well, I think Q4 will go down as one of those historic periods when we saw quite a painful price correction. I mean, value's gone up about twenty percent since twenty twenty one. I don't think many people are expecting them to go down as fast and as quick. And in fact, October and November saw the fastest drops ever in those months since records began. Um, it was more painful in premium than volume. There is no doubt about that, but volume was also affected. And I think as we get into January, uh, we saw probably quite a predictable stabilisation of prices. Retail demand, I think, has been reasonably strong, actually, in January. It tends to be a strong month, and I think it followed its, its trend. And we get to a position now where you know, I think most operators' stock will be far cleaner than in terms of valuations than it was four months ago. But there'll be some issues around demonstrator and curtsy cars, which can't be turned as fast as normal retail stock. And I think we're now seeing a bit of a different situation, which was probably somewhat predictable, whereby demand is pretty strong, uh, but supply is considerably weaker than it was in the first stages of Q4. We're seeing prices stabilize. Uh, actually, I think prices are now going up. Some vendors are now putting their prices up. And I think uh, that is probably to be expected and likely to continue through to March. Uh, you saw Motorpoint this week actually do a profits warning. 
very similar sort of market dynamics, I think, that I've just described. So I think the one bit I think we need to be wary of is what the uh, values of BEV vehicles are. BEVs, to my mind, actually stabilised quite nicely after the summer. We're probably the best performing type of car. But I think we're going to start to see some significant weakness in BEV prices again due to the effect of the regulatory uh, VETS uh, regulation and the need to stimulate new car offers with very strong pricing in new cars, which I think will have an impact on used, actually. So I think it's a significantly more stable position than it was 60 days ago, and it, it's working its way out, but it has been painful for the industry and, uh, you know, an historic price correction. Complicated market that, you know, because of so many mixes, you, you touched on their fuel types, you, you, you touched on different segments of the market. Are there clear winners that you're seeing um, as we start into 2024? Yeah, the losers? winners are the customers. <laughs> Because they're now buying cheaper cars. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms that's of the only winner from from a business point of view, <laughs> are, there, are, there, are there particular vehicles that, are the, that you see great opportunity in particular segments or types of vehicle? No, I mean all vehicles went down. Very few vehicles went up. We saw an industry-wide price correction, and there were more painful places than others. But it was no joy generally in terms of prices. I mean, high end, anything over eighty, ninety thousand pounds was broadly dreadful uh with almost some cases double digit price reductions in months and actually there are pockets of that still continuing so we're not out the woods yet um but i think the biggest element of pain has been has probably been taken um and it certainly feels as q1 always feels more buoyant you know the customers are out in force after christmas uh people are waiting for march i mean the big question is what happens after march you know, do we see a big new car month with a lot of supply of used cars coming in, which then could cause um, uh, pricing issues April, May, which has happened in the past at times? Or do we see a weaker new car market on the back of consumer worries about interest rates, living costs and all that sort of thing, which then could put a, a lid on used car supply? And then we see quite a stable pricing environment. And um, we'll have to wait and see what happens. Robert, you kicked us off. Let's turn to John Vicmanis um, from CarWow. John, you have a spread across sort of hundreds of, of retailers and retail groups um, dealing obviously directly with the customer. What's your take um, on the market at the moment? Yeah, I think we're seeing very similar trends to uh, Robert. I think certainly the first week of January was very sluggish, uh, but we've seen a really nice pickup in the last three weeks. So traffic is uh, up just under 20% year over year, which I think is a really good sign. We are seeing on the new car side of the house, we're seeing customers configuring more cars. So they're definitely shopping around more. And on our D2C, so where dealers selling to consumer site for used, we're also seeing a lot more engagement and a broader span of, of price ranges, actually. Um, and I think this is reflective that consumers are spending more time. I think they are, I think to Robert's point, looking for... Uh, in a high interest rate environment, they are slightly more concerned and putting more research into finding the right car at the right price. And, and we can definitely see that in terms of uh, overall levels of engagement on the site. The demand overall, though, I think looks looks really good. Uh, again, Q1 is a, a great, great quarter in terms of um, levels of visits. 
but we are seeing uh, really nice, nice engagement from consumers in terms of looking at more cars and making more inquiries. Uh, I, th I think we see the, the same trend in terms of uh, prices. If we look back to certainly H2, we saw, uh, if we look to our sell my car business where dealers can uh, buy cars from our consumers, we saw overall a 7% drop in uh, H2 in prices. So quite a, a steep drop over a short period of time. That's definitely stabilized this quarter. The pockets of improvement, again, to Robert's point. Um, what, what we are seeing is that, uh, again, some of the older cars are selling particularly well in terms of both their sell-through and pricing. Um, and uh, there, are, there are a lot of the cars, I suppose, pre the new cars that were built before the pandemic when production was an all-time high. That's where we're definitely seeing a little bit of weakness because there is quite a lot of volume in that four to five year old range bracket there. Interesting. I've just got Robert's thought in my ear of consumers are getting great value, but they're clearly coming back to market, having bought all the sofas that were advertised to them over the Christmas period. Um, Rupert, let's take a look at, at quarter one uh, in terms of some of the, um, the the outlook for valuations. I mean, at One Auto API, if I get this right, you sit at the centre of a whole stream of different data sources looking at that. So, so what are the factors that are influencing um, valuations this quarter? Yeah, you're right, Al. We, uh, I'm lucky enough to be able to sit in the centre and see a variety of different data sources. Data never sleeps, and actually uh, where we expected to see a little bit of a turn down in data usage over the uh, Christmas and uh, New Year period, um, even on Christmas Day we were seeing significant hits on our APIs, uh, except during the King's speech where it really quietened down for 20 minutes, half an hour. <laughs> um, but um, the interesting thing that we've seen is, as with what John and Robert have said, is that the early part of January was quite quiet. Now, for us, that's not an issue because it's not quiet for us. It's a quiet. For, it's quiet for our customers. As a result of that, what we saw was a significant upturn in the uh, type of data that they were looking at, and that means in terms of pricing um, and usage of different pricing points from the pricing uh, uh, providers that we work with, um, and uh, the volume of hits on those uh, increased. And I think that was uh, then coupled with the usage of looking at um, uh, comparative uh, vehicle listings from competitors in their local and national area. So that was noticeable uh, at the early part of the year. And our take on that is that because of the slowness of the market, they were looking very closely at pricing uh, and at what the uh, uh, what other cars were in market as well. What were their competitors advertising? What price? Uh, and a, a focus on on market days to sale as well. So uh, it was interesting to see that that piece picked up, and and I would expect that to be the case. That hasn't slowed down, and this is something that we've noticed as a business that the importance of looking at that retail data as much of it as possible is uh, critical for, for businesses of all sizes. I, I think that in terms of the actual market activity, um, the medium to larger retailers from what we were seeing through data usage and from the discussions I have with uh, other people through the Vehicle Remarketing Association and customers was that it was the larger uh, businesses that were doing better than the smaller ones. Uh, we've been doing some work launching some new product into smaller and mid-sized dealers and uh, they were really grateful of the new product but it was equally quite hard for us because we were launching a product and they weren't using it as much as we wanted them to but purely because they weren't selling as many cars so the feedback was that they were, there'd been that downturn in, in traffic um, uh, and inquiries although that has built as we've gone through the month but what does it look like when we come for the next four weeks well this is an interesting period um, I think that uh, retail pricing will stabilize uh, well, it has stayed. 
Uh, I think wholesale pricing was hit a little bit harder uh, in Q4 last year than it uh, than the retail pricing was. And I think we're beginning to find a balance on that. I think that there will still be consumer demand as we lead up to the new registration plate, but we may well see a little bit of tail off in used car sales specifically as people kind of hold off for that new reg plate as they have done for years and years and years. Um, so uh, that is a bit of a concern. Once we get past March, um, I think that uh, things will be fairly buoyant as we get in towards the, the center part of the year. But um, certainly not looking at any dire consequences here. But I do concur with what Robert has said in terms of uh, types of vehicle. Yep, consumer is a winner in many respects. Um, because cars are cheaper, um, but there are concerns around EVs. We did see that big drop off in price towards the tail end of last year, which created opportunities for the retailers themselves, um, those that were bold enough to uh, take the jump and stock the vehicles. But I do have concerns as we head towards the end of the year. Um, and uh, you know, if you look at the stats, 22% of, of uh, uh, electric vehicles to be registered by the end of the year, um, whereas last market, last year's market, actually new car market, dropped from 16.7% uh, down to 16.6%. A, that's going the wrong way. B, that's going to put a lot of pressure on people that are going to face some big fights towards the end of this year and complexities around operational uh, issues in supplying those vehicles. So many, so many factors at play here, and that was one of my opening points here: is the used car market. People to talk about in you know one metric, but it is a complex and moving feast. If you have comments you'd like to make and join in the conversation, please do so. You can type in your question uh, into the webinar platform here, or you can use the hashtag ARNLive. As Tristan, the interesting thing, Al, is the target for the manufacturers for new car edges under the new VETS regime isn't going to be 22%. It's going to be lower than that because the manufacturers don't have to hit 22% because if their cafe is below their target, they can actually take a reduction on the BEV. So I still think it's a tall order, but it's not quite as bad as 22% actually. Mm. And, and does that mean that there is therefore the the return of push because we've seen you know in zero percent finance offers as Rupert said there are lots of there's lots of activity what does that do for you in the business uh, in terms of affecting used car values? Uh, well, the return of push, which we're in, we're back into a push, is we get more new retail cars through. By definition, we actually get more what we class politely as tactical activity, uh, pre-registrations, demo changes, etc., which then frees up the used car market because you get more firm. You might push into fleet, for example, and pushing into fleet normally means there's a deflate and therefore the used car supply goes up, uh, which is fine and probably helpful as long as the demand and supply is somewhat imbalanced and you don't get a price correction like we've just seen. Um, now, that can apply in pockets, and I think in the first half of last year, we saw BEVs with a demand and supply problem and an absolute, you know, massive drops in BEV this time last year. Didn't see that in H2. It was just a general market decline. So uh, I think franchise retailers have got some thinking to do around push, and it'll be dependent on manufacturers, actually, won't it? Each manufacturer is in a different position. So there won't be wholesale push, but there is a general push. And what what are you, I mean you're you're a man who likes KPI so so within your teams what are the KPIs that you are looking at to to manage that situation and avoid getting into the, the, the some of those traps you were I mean, you, you can't well 
you can manage it by trying to sell as many cars as you can to avoid any nasty consequences at the end of the quarter. Um, so I'd be looking at retail new car order take, percentage of March order take versus last year, and uh, making sure we understand what level of used car stock we want so we don't get out of balance, both between mix and, and quantum. Uh, so that's clearly what we're looking at at the moment. Great. Uh, John, one of the issues that's being talked about, of course, uh, and it may not be the most important, but it's a common discussion uh, in retail, is agency, direct-to-consumer, however you wish to uh, describe it, of various types for new car sales. And, and the complexity around that is, of course, you have a disjointed uh, sale, potentially. Somebody may buy a vehicle under agency, and then they could deal with the dealer, or it could go somewhere else. You obviously are in a slightly different position there, sort of an intermediary in the middle there. What are you seeing from the market in terms of what's the retail sector telling you? Yeah, I think, I think to your point, there's a considerable amount of change, I suppose, with that, uh, with the advent of the agency model, and each manufacturer has uh, quite a different flavor of that. So, um, I think from our standpoint, certainly in terms of new cars, it doesn't really impact um, overall demand. The same number of people are configuring and uh, inquiring on those vehicles. It does. We, we have seen um, typically many of the, the franchise dealers in those models buying more used cars. So I think they are typically increasing their focus on use. So they are using our our C2D, our con consumer to uh, dealer uh, sourcing platform to source more of the, the cars that they typically sell um, under under a typical manufacturer's banner. But is it becoming more admin heavy? I mean, perhaps Robert, it's it's one for you, maybe because you've got some agency within the portfolio. But is it is it more admin heavy and therefore more cost intensive when you're dealing in 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 those kind of situations? I think it must be marginally because there are two um, in a genuine agency there are two separate transactions there's a transaction between the manufacturer and the consumer which clearly we have we have to be involved in and then there's obviously the purchase of the part exchange I mean I think if you want to look at if the question is what is the impact of agency on used cars well there's different types of agency there's no one answer to that um, where the manufacturer indicates a part exchange value then the retailer effectively loses some degree of control over setting the value, though they tend to be indicative values, so you're not set to it. Uh, but if the manufacturer gets that wrong, that price, there are quite a lot of implications. If he sets the, the value too high, then we're effectively having to have a negative conversation with the customer first off to say, I know you've been indicated that price, but actually it's really £2,000 less. And, and that is really, I mean, Rupert will be all over this, but getting that value right is pretty important. And there's an incentive for the manufacturer to set the price too low, or set the price too high because it reduces the cost of change. If you set the price too low, then the customer might not come in in the first place. Mm. So it is a very delicate balance, and we are therefore reliant on manufacturers' propensity to have very good data and IT systems. And I'll leave that one hanging there. Um and I suppose the other issue is you might lose your supply of demonstrators because in some agency models, the demonstrators are actually owned by the manufacturer. Um, and uh, there may then be tactical activity as well because we have seen some degree of tactical activity in agency where we end up buying effectively 
near the new delivery mileage cars, which I don't think we fully thought through at the start. Um, it isn't my one of my biggest headaches is the impact of agency on used cars. I, am, I think the manufacturers have done a pretty good job with it, actually. We haven't had any catastrophes around values. I think they could always be improved, but I think that's part of the iterative process of agency. It's not sort of my major headache. Okay. Rupert, perhaps just picking up one of the points that, that uh, Robert made there in terms of, of data, do you have any sense in terms of customer satisfaction around the, the, the difference between that splitting in that agency point where you do a, a new car and a used car transaction separately rather than sort of the seamless um, previous where the retailer manages both? Yeah, actually, we, we don't have any data around that, Al. Um, the data we're providing is is just a sort of base data that's allowing people to be able to see the visibility on pricing. But the position does worry me. I mean, uh, Robert says it's not a big headache for him at the moment, and that's that's really good to hear. But it does bother me that we're in a position that uh, perhaps the OEMs are restricting the uh, retailer's opportunity to be able to do good business uh, and to be able to create uh, opportunities with used cars. Um, getting it right, getting that price right when they're part of Changing it is absolutely critical. You can't you can't overreg it because you'll just pass on on the bad news or give the job of passing the bad news on to the retailer. But um, it, it is a really really fine balance in getting that right to make sure you're generating the customer flow through the through the door. Let's turn back to maybe the elephant in the room. Uh, and Robert, I'm going to come to, to you for this because we've, we've, we've touched a couple of times. There's 22%. There's lots of talk about, um, you know, how many vehicles have to be registered by the manufacturer. There are levels of complexity in that because, as you say, it's not just the pure um, zero tailpipe emission BEV, but it's also the CO2 average value. Just Tell me from your perspective, sitting there looking at the year ahead, what does that mean for you as a retailer? Because where's the start and the end points that you're working from? Uh, well, we don't really know, really, because we don't quite know how the manufacturers, how good the manufacturers are going to be at actually balancing all that off. And, they, and it's a devil's own job for the manufacturers. They've got to balance ice to EV mix. They've got to balance CO2 emissions on the actual cars they sell. They don't know what the customers are going to want and whether they're actually going to want those proportions and those cars and they've got to actually make the cars and try and sell them so i think it is going to be a interesting one and i think some people get it right and some people get it wrong the implications of getting it wrong will be heavier levels of discounting in order to get the mix right it could be in q4 we see manufacturers just stop selling ice that is a possibility in fact, we've seen a little bit of that anyway, as they managed tried to manage cafe in the last few years of, of restrictions on ice um, in in the back end of the year. So I think we're going to we're entering a far more complex new car market, where one of the biggest things we'll be talking about and and watching is the impact of a of a state imposed market dynamic through regulation, and where the consumers have less and less say about what they can buy or the consumers have a big say in what they can buy and the manufacturers are in very serious bother because what they want, need to sell and what the consumers want to buy may be disconnected, which is clearly going to have implications for retailers as well. So what, what in order for you to manage that complexity, I mean, I guess it comes back, Rupert's in the pound seats here, because it's data, isn't it? You, you, no, you no, it's to... not. No, it's absolutely nothing to do with data whatsoever. <laughs> it's the manufacturers who will need to manage that complexity in terms of new cars, in terms of their production planning and management of CO2. Uh, but surely from your point of view, you're going to have to manage the stock and the flow of what's no, coming No, no, no. We get, we get 
we don't have very much say at all on that. The manufacturers produce the cars, we get given them, and then we sell them. Uh, and we'll, we'll clearly be working closely with the manufacturers to try and manage those issues as and when. But let's be honest, I don't make the cars. True, but I'm just sorry, I'm just thinking from an operational point of view is that if the manufacturer makes the decision to turn on or off ice, they will make that decision, as you say, but you've got to plan your stock and what you're going to be doing used to, to no, avoid no, it's, it's not really it's not really much to do with used. I mean, there will be an implication to use, but the implication will be what the implication is. Right. Um, I don't think it's something we can pre-plan. We have to watch it on a daily, weekly, monthly basis and make logical decisions on the situation we find. Um, and this is no great check. This has been, you know, new car dynamics impacting used cars is, is bread and butter to everybody. That's just the business yeah. we're in. It's just getting more complicated. Yeah, absolutely. What, what, what worries me, Al, sorry to interject, is that um, we are sort of nine months away from that critical Q4 uh, period. And I think that for many of the... Eight months. Sorry, yes, you're quite right. So I'm still uh, beginning, uh, still getting over New Year. Um, but but we are eight months away, and I think many uh, OEMs will already have put their planning uh, and production schedules in place, and that's the thing that that concerns me uh, and makes me worry. For from Robert's point of view, he's absolutely right. He he's being told what he can and can't sell. The big change could come as if they uh, and they ha it has been experienced before where they just stop selling ice cars. But an element of this has already been taken away. And this is the first time round for this. So there are no rules. There's nothing you can look back on and say, oops, we messed up doing it this way. We need to try a slightly different way. Um, and I just think this year could be quite challenging. Yeah, and we, we have to remember that our moronic government, of course, didn't actually tell the manufacturers what the rules were going to be until fairly Correct. late in the day when they yeah. probably already agreed the first six months production planning. Yeah. I mean, you, you couldn't really make it up. It is absolute comedy. Mm. Yeah. Robert, I wish you'd really speak your mind. I have trouble sometimes when you hold back from, 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 from telling us what you really think. Uh, John, uh, do you sit, sit and look at the market like this? I mean, Robert's painted, you, you, get, you get the facts for Robert. From your point of view, John, do you look at this and go, look, okay, there's a roller coaster year, but frankly, that's okay, because, you know, heads I win, tails you lose. <laughs> no, I, I, no, I think it's our job to help our retail partners navigate some of the... Um, I suppose some of the, the, the challenges that consumers are also fa facing. I think that's the, whilst they may be in a position to, uh, to get a, better, a slightly better price for the car, I think it is also really confusing for them, actually. Robert mentions uh, the, uh, the changes that the government made. I think most consumers in the UK think, well, I, I don't need to, to, to buy an, an electric car now to 2035, but yet by 2030, 80% of the vehicles sold need to be EVs. So, it, it, it's horrendous, I think, in terms of trying to connect the dots between what consumers think uh, they, they, uh, the government want them to do and, and what they're actually incentivizing manufacturers and retailers to. And, and that, 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 I think, is difficult. And you, you do see, we do see actually on the Bev side, on, on the new car side, we do see really good levels of engagement. We see lots oh, of. Oh, come on, John, John, John. You, <laughs> wow. must, you must say that the level of Bev retail interest is below this time last year or you no, no it is yeah no 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 that yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and i think that's definitely right i think ultimately what we see though is engagement so people configuring bevs is really high but then when they see the prices they are less likely to inquire and less likely to buy and i think that's actually changed in the use space because you know a bev equivalent of a, an ice car the prices are pretty comparable now 
Whereas yeah. for a new one, they're still quite different. Actually. No, they are. But I think the manufacturers will continually to drive better deals yeah. in EVs to try and stimulate that demand because they have to. Yeah, there's significant right. yeah, margin yeah. implications for the manufacturers, but I think that is inevitable. Yeah, I think we still have a, a customer education process to go through. John, I hear what you're saying. More people are interested in the vehicles and therefore they're configuring them, but they're still scared of them. And I think one of the reasons they're scared of them is particularly uh, because of what that battery and what that range actually is. We still haven't got over that. Um, and actually getting some proper data on you know, how that vehicle will perform in terms of range and usage is critical. The WLTP um, figure, you know, it, it's done in, it, uh, one charge of the battery at 46 kilometers to the hour, uh, uh, kilometers per hour in summer temperatures. You know, it's far more inaccurate for BEVs than it is for ICE vehicles. Um, and as an industry as a whole, and we see this in the remarketing side of things as well, uh, we have to find a way of being able to identify a condition on a battery on a used car to be able to give some confidence in yeah, I'm a lot more optimistic, Rupert, on that. I mean, we really bought a lot of used electric vehicles sort of september october last year and hmm. uh, we sold them very quickly at good margins and we didn't get a lot of negative customer feedback around batteries and things i think we can probably overthink it having said that and again it was interesting as bulletin i think it's useful if we did have a standard way of measuring it and being able to inform the customer about battery health i don't actually worry about battery health too much that's um, good Okay, well, interesting points as, as the market um, evolves and expands. And um, let's let's take some some questions um, from uh, uh, people watching. And by the way, if you want to join in the conversation, uh, the hashtag ARN Live on Twitter, or you can type in your question. Uh, one of those, um, Peter Smythe. Hello, Peter from Swansway. Um, Peter says, "Will manufacturers alter their quarter one campaigns and create a price war?" Um, Robert, why not? Wade in. Uh, I know Peter very well. I don't think I'd class it as a price war, Peter. I think it'd be a highly competitive market where consumers will get great deals. <laughs> you want to be a politician, don't you, Robert? I mean, that's just a <laughs> form of words, you know? Awesome. So it's going to be competitive, but but I mean, it literally is everywhere, isn't it? It's 0% this, 0% that, and TV adverts and stuff. That's the way it's going to be for a while, right? Well, that's the way it's always been, apart from the last three years when we didn't have any product. I mean, it's honest with you. I mean, I've been in this quite a while now, and we, you know, we used to monitor March order take daily in Q1 because it was very important and very competitive, and it is again. It's yeah. no great change. To be honest, it's not the first time we've had a competitive new car market, is it? <laughs> we're moving back to more traditional operations, retail operations, whether that be with pricing, demand, um, uh, or, or wholesale, uh, you know, and depreciation as well. The problem is we've got managers in the business who've never operated in that environment. That is quite true, yeah. Uh, let's move forward with a question from David Abel, Stephen James Group. Hello, David. Thanks for your question. Uh, I'm going to throw it to John. John, with EV prices having fallen, what can be done to increase customer confidence? I know we touched it a little bit already, but... Where, where do you sit on that, John? Because you're out there in the customer's face. I think I think to Rob's point, I do think uh, consumers are increasingly familiar with EVs and are, and are confident to buy them. And I think a lot of the sort of range anxiety that's often in the press is starting to die down now. Um, so I think consumers are definitely becoming more familiar. I think as an industry, we've more work to do to help consumers understand the technologies, the different brands, the different makes and models. 
but I, I think generally, I, I, th I think pricing is a reflection of of new car pricing ultimately in terms of how used cars are priced, not because consumers don't don't want to buy them or are scared of them. I don't, I don't think that's uh, necessarily the challenge. Um, Robert, I mean, do, do, do you, you talked about, you, you referenced there, so sorry, Robert, I'll be back yeah. to you in two secs, but you, you referenced having bought um, a number of used and sold them quickly. So uh, have we got a bit of a myth here um, about the issue of EVs? Have you, you I said do, and I think, to be honest with it, I mean, I, my views on electric vehicles are quite mixed, really. But I mean, we, I have made the decision with my wife that we now both have pure electric vehicles. And I have to say, I've learned a damn sight a lot in the last three or four months for electric vehicles, having to drive one, about what the issues are and what the benefits are and the negatives are. And my wife got hers at the weekend for the first time. And, you know, I just think if we drove, if the people in the industry actually drove one, it would help. And if our sales teams had driven one and had one and lived with them, they'd become a lot more educated about the benefits. And electric vehicles are not for everybody. But there's a lot of people who could have an electric vehicle and will probably enjoy it. The issue probably is around price because they are, have been more expensive. I think we're going to get to the stage where the price of them is going to come down. And there will be people who probably should have one will, will be incentivized to have one. Um, we're clearly seeing massive demand in fleet, salary sacrifice schemes, very tax advantageous. We're seeing motability increasingly edged towards electric vehicles. But, but I think that that is good in many ways. But we've got to make sure when we sell an electric vehicle, it's suitable for the person. How are they going to charge it? Have they got off-road off parking or not? You know, there's a lot of it is a very different experience having an electric vehicle. Um, but is there, is there going to be a risk a, a risk there, Robert? And I'll put it no stronger than that. That if we've into a, a push market to need the to 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 get these EVs into the market, that you know, given the choice and, and needing to get that one sold, perhaps somebody's needs may not be taken fully into consideration, and they may not get the right. No, because I think the implications of getting that wrong. You know, you, what you don't want is a car coming back after three weeks or two weeks. Um, so I think we'll all be very wary and we'll, we, we use qualification quite heavily to make sure we understand it. And I've had quite a lot of discussion, a lot of work first week of January uh, on motability because, you know, how do you sell a lot of motability cars and electric vehicles when people might be in social housing, they might have street parking rather than um, off, off street parking. And we've got to be very careful. And actually the whole issue if anybody's ever got a charging point put in their house it is probably one of the most disorganized disheartening experiences in human existence actually it is poor and you you've got to be very careful to do when got a strike but I, I i take your point yeah absolutely well i'm on the train today actually as yeah. well. but, um i am in edinburgh going home on the train but we've got to be careful we, and we've got to help our customers but i do worry actually one of the great frictions of electric vehicles is actually getting a charging point put in your house because it, it generally was torture when we did it. Yeah. Rupert, um, it, again, it's, this is a question from, um, this is a question from Michelle, uh, Michelle Breffitt from Women Drive Electric. Hi, Michelle. Uh, and it's back to a point you made earlier. And she says, could a standard battery health report on a used car help the value of, of used EVs? That was something you alluded to a little bit earlier. Yeah, it was. Um, and my answer to that is, I think possibly yes, but that is has to be a personal opinion because, um, you know, it's it's the uh, valuation providers that will determine to a degree how much that will help. 
Um, the indications are from discussions we've had because we provide some some data on behalf of one of our data partners. The, the indications are that it will do. Um, but um, I think Robert and John may have a viewpoint on this. You know, how do you how do you show that on a forecourt where you've got two VWID fours sitting next to each other? One's got a battery rating of ninety percent. The other one's got a battery rating of seventy percent. Is that equivalent to saying this one's got a full service history on? history this one doesn't have a full service history and you make of a, a financial uh, uh, allowance for that so my feeling is that yes it will make a difference and it is important to have it um it's complicated to get to that position where we're able to prov provide that as an industry but it is doable um and then of course you know i feel terribly for the valuation providers uh, over the past three months because of the way prices have come down you know they are reflecting the marketplace and what's happening in the market and i can see robert smiling wryly at that um but i, I think that that is the case in most uh, uh, that is the case in most instances so um it, it's down to the, to them in part to to be able to read and make a judgment based on the information that they see in the marketplace whether that be from a retailer or whether that be through the remarketing environment Robert, I think, uh, forgive me, I'm not sure if you have Peugeot within your portfolio. But yeah, I'm in one now. I'm actually here. Yeah. Right. Because I, I, do they not provide within Peugeot, if I remember correctly, a, a health check as part of the we have a, We have a number of franchises where that information is available, yeah. actually. I think Nissan do as well. And obviously, they've got a lot of experience with... with but it's Lee. not the standard thing, I suppose. The point no, it's not a standard thing. And, and I think no one could argue it wouldn't be a good thing. Yeah, no one can argue that. And the sooner we, we get it as an industry, the better. Uh, but bear in mind what the implications are to go through that example of Rupert. Would it help? Well, it must help. But bear in mind, there's clearly a price discrepancy between a, a 60 percent battery health and an 80 percent battery health. There would have to be a lower value. So there would be winners and losers there. Uh, yeah. And it could be, you know, the customer who's got 60 percent when the next bloke next to him's got 80 percent. You can see a right chew there, can't you, in terms of, well, why has the battery gone down so much? And didn't you guarantee it at the start? So mm. I think there is a can of worms there. As I said, I don't sense massive issues in this area, actually. So I'm quite optimistic that we'll be able to see our way through it. And I have very little sympathy for data providers, Rupert. One of the few things that made my life bright in Q4 was seeing Autotrader fall out with cap. I thought that was quite hilarious. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, uh, hey, I sit in the middle of a lot of different data providers. And uh, <laughs> it, 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 I think that data is critical, you know, but um, yeah, it's a difficult situation. Um, I just wanted to come back very quickly, Al, just to something that Robert uh, had said uh, in and John had said, and that was in terms of the popularity around EVs. Rob is absolutely right. Getting bums on seats for them to mm -hmm. learn, uh, learn and drive and understand that car is critical as much for the sales team as, it is, as a consumer. And that is really critical. And that's part of my education thing. You know, we need more education. In terms of the pricing, um, John, I felt that the uh, one of the reasons that the vehicle sold so quickly during Q4 was because we saw a depreciation of electric vehicles where they had sat proud and above ICE vehicles for some time. There was always going to be a point that the RVs, the, the, the retail pricing had to come down to parity. And that's the thing we have to watch as we go through this year with the pressure from new EVs as to whether that forces prices below to drive the demand for those vehicles. Yeah, I think that's right. That's um, I, I, I think ultimately, be the, the, the biggest uh, 
I think impact on used prices will be what happens to used uh, to the new car price EV prices over the next uh, over the course of the year. And essentially, when we compare our our UK business to to the one in Germany on new car that the German government government have heavily subsidised EV ownership um, in part because they want to hit, hit a target as the UK government do, and that it, it costs more to build an, a new EV. The margins aren't there so if the government want to hit a certain target they they put some uh, some taxpayers money behind that we just don't see that in the uk and i think it is a really you know, quite difficult um set of circumstances to navigate both for consumers manufacturers and dealers because you've got this arbitrary targets that, that there's very little support behind you're watching the Auto Retail Live uh, discussion on used cars and how 2024 is rolling out. Uh, we've got just a couple of minutes left. So if there is any final questions you want to get in, uh, now would be the time to do that. Um, in fact, uh, David Manchester says, is there any evidence of other dealer groups changing write-down policies in quarter four to ameliorate the impact on operating profit? Or was it, Robert, did you just take the brave pill? Oh, you don't want to be messing about with that. In fact, to be honest with you, what the what we did do is on demonstrate demonstrator and courtesy cars, we accelerated depreciation. So we actually had to charge more depreciation to reflect the fact the market was depreciating at a faster rate. Um, I mean, you you can stop writing things down and you can stop doing good stock management on the vague hope that the market is going to recover and save you. But the history of the world isn't written that way, I'm afraid. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it's, I've known a few people try it over the years, and it's a bit like King Canute. Uh, the tide comes in, and you look a bit foolish. Who was it who said, hope is not a strategy? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, we are almost we're almost out of time, but we have a second just to uh, go around our panel today, um, a lively discussion, and ask for one thing to take away as we, as we think about 2024 opening up all of the things we've discussed with you, Cars. Um, John McManus from Carwire, what would your thing to do to take away from today be? Yeah, I think as we discussed, I think it's really hard to predict what's going to happen, particularly in the second part of the year. So um, I, I definitely advocate use data from providers like Carwire and other platforms to help not, not necessarily focus the, the strategy, but actually the day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week trading so that you can spot trends as, as quickly as possible. Use data. I'm sure that's music to your ears, Rupert. Is there something specific that you would say from One Auto API? Well, we provide data from a variety of different people. I would say, uh, I know there's extra cost, but use as much of that data as possible, whether that be pricing data or whether it be provenance data. You've got to be careful about the cars you're buying these days. Um, but, uh, you know, looking at uh, the price of one vehicle through one platform or one data provider uh, at times can be foolish. There can be a big difference in retail price through one person and another uh, and look at it geographically. So data is key. And General Robert Forrester, what's your word for the troops? Uh, before you start looking at external data and all of its complexity, make sure you record inquiries, maximise test drives, maximise offers and sell cars. <laughs> Short and sweet. Thank you very much. And thank you to you for taking time to join us uh, this afternoon or if you're on catch up, uh, wherever you're watching as we've talked through used car for 2024, the used car market. In conjunction with CarWow, uh, our thanks on behalf of Tristan Young, your editor today, and our clerk. Have fun in the showroom and sell lots of cars. <laughs>